the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Amen. Christ is in our midst. He is in our Christ is transfigured. Amen. Nice. Amen. We celebrated the beautiful Feast of Transfiguration this week. And uh, we talked about our postures in approaching God. We remembered the uprightness and the ascent of the disciples who went up, who climbed Mount Tabor. And we drew a connection between their uprightness and their ascent, their attentiveness, their focus on Christ, and our constant call to uprightness. Let us attend. Stand upright. And we hear that. We're informed of that many times throughout the service. It's an inner disposition. It's an awareness. But it's also something that we proclaim in the body when we physically stand upright and place ourselves before God and strive to listen to Him. And then we also connected the story with another posture, face down on the ground in wordless wonder before God and fear before His awesome majesty. And I charged everyone to practice that at least once a day, even for a moment. Get down on your face before God, not demanding anything of Him. He's not demanding anything of you. Just get down on the ground before Him. And listen to him. Hear him even in the silence. You'll find him there. So that was a beautiful day. And you hear, we're still in the wake of the Feast of Transfiguration. Hearing the hymns. We call it the after feast. During this time. And we'll continue through Tuesday. Remembering the beautiful work of Christ. And the manifestation of himself on Mount Tabor. Today, I want to focus in on the gospel reading. Today, the response is given to the question posed by the people of Israel and repeated by the Holy Prophet and Psalmist David. We're given the answer to this. They spake against God and said, Cannot God prepare a table in the wilderness? Because he smote a rock, and water streamed forth, and the torrents overflowed. Can he not give bread also, or prepare a table for his people? And we're given the answer to that. Can God prepare a table for his people in the wilderness? That question is answered today, in today's gospel story. And so, inspired by this, this thought... I draw today's theme that life is given in the barren place. And we hear the language of barrenness over and over again throughout the church year and throughout the New Testament. Life is given in the barren place, the wilderness that is our humanity. It's given in that we're preparing for the Feast of Dormition. I want to remind that it's given through the Theotokos and it's demonstrated in today's gospel reading. In the miracle of the five loaves, we can see a couple of dominant themes. First and foremost, this is a very simple but profound one that we have to go back to. 
First, we see that it revealed the concern of God for the practical needs of men. He cares. He cares for the people. He cares about us. It also revealed to the disciples their ministry. And I want to say today that it provided a a model for Christian ministry. It revealed to the disciples their ministry and the church in its ministry by extension. And that man's needs are not purely physical or spiritual. He wanted to demonstrate that healing consists of the union of these two aspects of humanity, the spiritual and the physical. The healing of the unnatural division within humanity that we've created. Therefore, he fed them. He gave them bread in the wilderness. He gave them himself. He touched them. They became vulnerable and trusted him. Even to the point of following him to a barren place. St. John Chrysostom in his commentary, says, consider what faith they had going, this huge throng of people following Jesus into a barren place. No McDonald's nearby. No Taco Bell. We didn't say that. But he said, no provisions nearby. They just followed him some distance into the wilderness to hear him because they were receiving a kind of nourishment unlike any other kind of nourishment. They didn't care about what meal was next. They just started trusting God. He will provide. They followed him to a barren place. The disciples followed and observed, listened, and participated in the ministry of Christ to the people. Christ had provided a kind of nourishment to the people with his teaching and healings. But the disciples started getting practical. And they started, I think, to worry Wait a sec, there's a lot of people here. Maybe they were feeling a little hungry too and they realized we only have a little bit of food, not enough to go around, maybe only enough for us to share. We can't just stand here and eat in front of all the people. What should we do? Maybe we should send them off. The disciples said first, this is a lonely barren place, far from towns and provisions. And the day is now over. Send the crowds away, Jesus, go into the vil- to go into the villages to buy food for themselves. And Jesus charged them then to give the people something to eat, saying, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They responded, but we only have a little bit. Does that sound familiar? I only have a little bit. I don't have much to give. The miracle of the distribution is one that shows the miracle of God's self-revelation in the person of Jesus. As the person of Jesus, as do all miracles, but also reveals the nature of ministry. He was present, but he didn't do everything. Well, he did in a certain way, but he didn't do it all himself. He was present, but he entrusted the disciples with the distribution of the food. He tasked them with feeding the people. They started with the creation, the loaves and the fish, not knowing what to do with them. But this was all that they had to work with. But this was not adequate to feed the multitudes. So they had to turn to him, the creator. 
Okay, we'll do it, but you have to tell us what to do. Jesus said of the fish and the loaves, bring them here to me. Bring that little meager amount that you have. Bring it to me. Maybe I can do something with it. He had to teach them about their own identities, about their own function, revealing himself to them. He's the one, ultimately, who distributes and is distributed, as we say in the liturgy. It's always the activity of Christ in us and through us that makes sufficient what we have to offer. This reality is actualized in the liturgy, which we'll experience when we offer the bread and the wine in the great entrance. We take what meager offerings we have, a little bread, a little wheat, water, wine, oil. We offer what we have to give. And he makes it holy. He sanctifies it. He meets us where we're at. Through what we have to give, we give it to him. He gives it back to us in return. And enables us to be ministers of him, of his gospel. Little lights. Like the disciples, we should take what we have and offer it to Christ. If you have anything that you can't offer to Christ and ask that he bless it, then you probably shouldn't have it. Think about that. As I, I often like to say, a little, another little practical thing. If what you're doing at any moment in time is not compatible with the disposition of prayerfulness or worshipfulness or remembrance of God, then you probably shouldn't be doing it. Because we can always invite God into, into this present moment. Unless to do so would be blasphemy. Unless we're doing something totally contrary to Him. In which case, we've got to stop it. And put, us, put ourselves somewhere where we can invite Him right into that moment. And pray that He remains with us. Ever present in our awareness, in our mind, in our thoughts. We live in a time in which the barrenness of humanity is just as real as it was back then. People are hungry, physically and spiritually, seeking signs and miracles, but then disbelieving <laughs> signs and miracles. We often don't know how to serve them. We often don't know what to do. Our response as disciples of Christ is to turn to Him with what we have. Whatever we have, our provisions, our abilities, simple and meager though they may be. What we have is never in itself enough to meet the true needs of those who stand before us. You understand that? What we have in and of itself is never enough to meet the needs of those who stand before us. It has to be blessed. It has to be given to God, blessed by Him, and then broken and distributed. Then we can't claim it to be our own and be proud of ourselves as if we did something good. It's our task to turn to the Creator who never ceases in His creativity to offer what we have to Him that He in turn will bless it and hand it back to us to distribute to others. If you feel blessed, 
then you must bless others. If you've received joy, share that joy. If you've been forgiven, be a purveyor of forgiveness. If you've been lifted up off of the ground, lift others up as well. Convey the love of God that's been conveyed to you, to others, and bear witness to the good that only comes from Him. In addition to this beautiful, insightful gospel reading, today we're preparing for the Feast of Dormition, or the falling asleep of the Theotokos. This season provides us the opportunity to, again, reflect on the life and the significance of our spiritual mother, Mary. So I want to also offer just a few words to demonstrate how through her, uniquely, God prepared a table in the wilderness. Two specific texts came to mind when I was considering this theme of the giving of life to a barren humanity. I was uh, reminded of one of the texts from the best Vespers for Nativity. It goes like this. Verily, every individual of the creatures thou didst create shall offer thee thanksgiving. The angels shall render thee praise, the heavens a star, the magi gifts, the shepherds wonder, the earth, the cave, the wilderness, the manger, and we men, a virgin mother. Wherefore, O God, before the ages have mercy upon us. And the beautiful words of the Theotokos in her dialogue with the archangel at the Annunciation, the quintessential expression of synergy, of cooperation with God, when she says, Behold the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And listen to these beautiful words of our Bishop Basil of, the, of, the, of Middle America. Bishop Basil says, Until the coming of the archangel Gabriel to the dwelling in Nazareth, where he greeted the Theotokos, the people of God would make pilgrimage to the temple in Jerusalem to worship God who was present there and to revere the very stones of the temple. Yet at a moment, in an obscure Palestinian village, in a young virgin, that temple became passé and irrelevant. She became the temple. And it's for that reason that we venerate her. She became the temple. A unique thing that gives her a unique position in our salvation. It was from her blood that God took blood. Blood that would become the fountain of our immortal life. It was of her flesh that God took flesh. The flesh that is now offered to us as the food of immortality. End of quote. But how did this come to be? Deceptively simple, but deceptively difficult as well for us. The simple woman who had nothing to give other than herself. She offered herself and our human nature to God. She seized what she had been given by God, the creator, her very body, and offered it to God, becoming, as we might say, the first Christian. Her relationship with Christ was a unique relationship. Something that no one else can have, quite like she did. It gives her a unique place in the history of our salvation. 
Yet her response to God's call is not an end, but a beginning. Not singular, but exemplary. She said yes to God that all humanity might in turn say yes to him. This is why we call her the new Eve. The first Eve did not listen and did not do as God had commanded. And this one said, May it be done to me according to your word. Thy will be done in my life. Then she became the Theotokos, the birth giver of God incarnate, that each of us might become a God-bearer, that we might become God-bearers. The paradox lies in that, like as in the Gospel reading for today, we come to participate in the life of God by not only inviting Him into our lives, by not only inviting Him into our hearts, as someone would say, but by entering into His reality, too. Like those disciples who followed Him up onto Tabor, we have to follow Him. He's given us an inclination as what we should do. Follow me. In the wilderness, the barren place that is our humanity, a young woman said yes to God. Her very flesh and blood was blessed, broken, and distributed in the form of the incarnate God. Love came down and dwelt among men, giving purpose to the purposeless, giving hope to the hopeless and food to the hungry. If you've ever questioned your own sufficiency, rightly so, experiencing a sense of loneliness or barrenness in your own right, if you've ever experienced insecurity, let alone attempting to minister to the needs of others, I encourage you to consider the fact that by a simple yes, the simplest of people came to provide, excuse me, came to prove what we might become by grace. What we might become by grace is God by, is, is what God is by nature. This is really what we're celebrating in the life of the Theotokos, the capacity of the human person to become by grace what God is by nature. You've heard me say several times that the saints are those who have learned to always say yes to God. So from henceforth, that's our challenge, brothers and sisters in Christ, that we might also, in all circumstances, say yes to Him, to say yes to Him. Another simple way that I've been challenging a lot of people lately is to, cut, to stop at any given moment in time and say, what should I be doing right now? Can I say yes to God in this moment? What should I be doing? Turn to Christ. Offer what you have. Truly only on account of Him. He's the giver. That He might bless it. That He might allow us to participate in the beautiful work of preparing a table in the wilderness. May it be unto us as according to His word. Amen.